Hello and welcome to a new episode of the StatCast with your hosts, Harrison Friedman and Sam Greenman. Today we are talking about this the end of the MLB season because it's been one of the stranger ones we've seen. I don't know how many how often you see teams just literally not play games for a couple of weeks. But while abbreviated, it has nevertheless been interesting. And we've had some teams that we didn't expect do really well. We've had some teams that we expected to do well just sort of fall flat on their faces. The Baltimore Orioles somehow have won 23 games this year, which in a normal year sounds like a bad thing, but this year is actually a really good thing. But Sam, what are you excited to talk about uh, in this episode? I'm excited to bring to the world um, some the front runners in the award races that not a lot of people are thinking about because they have natural tendencies to sway one way or another on who should win MVPs and Cy and other awards but we'll talk about that we'll talk about uh playoffs who's going to be in it who's going to be matching up against each other who do we think is going to win uh among other things yeah i'm excited to talk about this we're going to talk about the padres and the white Sox, who have been some of the most surprising teams in baseball we get to talk about um what i think are some of the more interesting award races we've had because like sam said there aren't there aren't isn't really a defined way of figuring out who the best player was in a 60 game race to the finish so I can imagine we're going to have takes that might be way off the map of what you might have expected. And yeah, it's going to be really close. So we're excited to get into all that. But first, Milo Hamilton. Swinging, lining it to left. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Chris And welcome back to the StatCast. Sam, let's get into the playoff talk. Which teams do you see as the strongest going in? Um, for me, I think I was going to say the White Sox, but they're they're very much not doing well right now because they've surrendered their lead in the division. The Twins are a half game ahead of them. They're very much limping into the playoffs. Uh, their last uh, 10 games, they've gone four and six. They've lost their last four. Um, so as far as teams that are going strong into those playoffs, uh, I would say definitely the Rays are one. Uh, Cleveland is looking pretty hot. The Braves have won their last four. If Cincinnati can hold their own, uh, then I think they're going to be tough to stop, especially with the uh, the pitchers that they have. Um, Padres have been mediocre recently. They've been kind of just holding ground. Um, yeah, I think definitely I would watch out for Braves, Reds, Rays. Gotcha. I agree with you, especially on the Reds, because I think that the wild card format that we have now, where each team plays a three-game series and what's got to be exceedingly volatile, the Reds set up really well for that because they have terrific pitching. They've got Trevor Bauer and Luis Castillo. They're going to be very well set up. The Rays also, because... This is going to be one of the stranger sort of postseasons where unlike what a lot of teams have done in the past where they've sort of made their rotation, they slimmed their rotations down to four starters because of the extra off days that you get. There aren't any extra off days here. This is going to be one of the quicker postseasons that I think we've seen, even though there are 16 teams in it. So the Rays who are built to throw whoever, 
whenever are going to be in good shape. The Brewers, if they're able to make it, are going to be in really good shape because Devin Williams and Josh Hader have almost literally been unhittable this entire season. Uh, One team I'm really intrigued by is actually the Twins because they've been hot. The team has one of the best offenses in baseball. If Nelson Cruz is healthy, which, to be fair, he kind of needs to be since he's been the MVP of their team, if not the MVP of baseball, I think they're really well set up. Byron Buxton is kind of hot, even though he literally never walks. And it's a good team this year. It's a strong team. Josh Donaldson seems like he is ready for another outstanding postseason. Kenta Maeda has the second lowest whip in MLB history right now, if we count 60-game seasons as real seasons. Pedro's got to have number one, right? Oh, yeah, it's Pedro number one. But at the same time, Maeda is number two. And he's induced nearly 50% of the hits he induces are ground balls. And that sort of helps because he's got an 18.8 home run fly ball rate, which is kind of obscenely high. But his ERA is just at 270, which is pretty good. He induces a lot of soft contact. And I don't know. I like this. I like this Twins team. I feel like uh, there's a lot of baggage, especially with being the Twins, since he usually face the Yankees. But actually, right now, they're not set up to face the Yankees. So they would be able yeah, to dodge that Yeah, I think they need to take that and run. I think they need to... If they let the White Sox overtake them, then they're just going to be gone. Yeah. If I'm the Twins and I, see, and I see the Indians in the first round, I actually am a little nervous because Shane Bieber obviously is terrific. So, yeah, that's, that's going to be a little scary. But, you know, Cleveland, they lost Mike Clevenger during the season, and he actually is hurt right now. They lost Corey Kluber for the year, and he was kind of ineffective. I mean, if you're Cleveland, then you have to hope that Zach Plesak and Aaron Zavale are able to hold up for a series like that. But I mean, I don't know Zach Plesac really is actually a potential Cy Young candidate if there if there were a certain guy in the same rotation. Even though he's Plesac's only got seven starts right now, but he's yeah. ERA under two. In three starts against Minnesota, Corey Kluber has in his first one he was obviously phenomenal, but that was back Corey in July. Kluber. He went eight innings, allowed three hits. Sorry, I mean Shane Bieber, of course, who we both love very much as a pitcher. He. Allowed zero runs, struck out 13, which is obviously great. But then over okay. his last two starts against the Twins, at one at home, one on the road, he went to 13 innings combined, which for him is not that great. And he only struck out 18 guys combined, which again for him is not that great. And he allowed five earned runs between the two games, including two bombs in the previous game against the Twins only three starts ago. So obviously Shane Bieber is probably going to hold the Twins to like two runs in seven innings, even in the playoffs. But I'm not quite sure about the rest of the team. That's a really strong Twins team. Matchups are obviously going to be huge. And I feel like if they can hold on win that division, they're in really good shape. They, the Indians also still have Carrasco. That's true. I think you're forgetting about him. I assume they would start Plesak because I like what I've seen from Plesak this year. But yeah, clearly Carrasco can go too. What I think it'll be interesting because I bet we get a lot of series where each team wins one game to start out with. Because you literally... It's winner. This is going to be winner go home in a lot of those games, and most pitchers on most teams are going to be healthy. I'm fascinated to see what choices teams make, and that's why I like a team like the Rays. Yeah, game two and three are automatically winner go home games. Yeah, that's going to be that's something we really haven't ever seen in baseball. It reminds me of college baseball, and I've said this on the podcast before, but college baseball is my absolute favorite postseason format. So, what you have in college baseball is basically uh, you have several basically additions of teams have multiple winner go home games in a row sometimes they're on the same day which is insane but also beautiful so i'm intrigued to see who can do it well with that what do you think about a team like the a's who have been sort of not talked about that much this year even as they've been just as good 
if not better than they have been in the past several years. Well, again, their additions at the deadline of starting pitching, like in years past, are not have not worked out well. Mike Miner is not working out well for them. And once he had again, one good they, start. he had one good start. Matt Chapman's done for the year. They, uh, it's it's more that they're playing a lot of bad teams in in the West. Yeah, they do have one of the easiest uh, strength of schedules in the entire majors right now. The only team with like there's another team in that division that actually has an e- even easier strength of schedule than them, the Houston Astros, who unlike the last several years, it's taken us a while to get to them. But this is a 500 Astros team. Which, even though they strike out less than anyone else in baseball, they still can't really hit. Yeah, no Jordan. Um, Bregman was hurt for a lot of the year. Altuve is turned into a pumpkin for whatever yeah. reason. I their yeah, their lineups full of potatoes. Yeah, I, I do really like the bullpen on this A's team. I think Liam Hendricks has been phenomenal this year. He has one of the highest strikeout rates in baseball. He has only allowed, I believe, three runs all season. Which of all guys who pitched twenty three innings or more, that is, he's got the second lowest ERA in baseball. I know, I think you know who has number one, but we'll get to him later. Uh, actually, we got to him because that was Devin Williams. But I, yeah, like you, I don't like what I see from this rotation. And if you check it out, most guys who are in the rotation uh, have the worst ERAs. Chris Bassett is someone who is quite who's a possibility, but like you're throwing Chris Bassett against. I don't know, Zach Greinke or something in the first game of the playoffs, which Astros and A's are basically locked in at this point. Who do you take in a, in that kind of series? So are they really locked in, though? I guess they're not quite locked in. It's possible that we see something else, although it almost seems like they're fated to play each other. But in a series like that, who do you, you think has the advantage? Uh, if I had to pick between the Astros and the A's, I would pick I would pick the A's. Um, after, man, you really you guys really don't have any pitching, Houston. Yeah, Framber Valdez like secretly might be a top five vote getter in Cy Young contending no. of all people. Framber, yeah, no, but good try. Uh, you might might want to check again because Framber Valdez actually has an xFIP uh, below three, and he's pitched seventy innings this year. He's been a real rock of that rotation. He's got an insane sixty percent ground ball rate, and he's got two wins of replacement. Just gonna say that much. I like what I I've seen from say, him. I would say Oakland has your number. As far as that's a the issue, three that's the issue. Oakland has their number, and Oakland's hitters have been phenomenal this year. Like Canha and Chapman have been two of the best hitters in the league. Ramon Laureano and Sean Murphy, when especially when like they've been playing, have also been really good. Uh, Robbie Grossman has fallen off a little bit, but at the same time, but he still been, loves to take pitches. He does love to take pictures. Actually, Mark Canna has a higher and Sean Murphy have higher walk rates than Robbie Grossman. As crazy as that sort of seems, wow. but it's just a really really well-stacked lineup where you have six guys in it who have at least one wins above replacement, which I mean, like, isn't a huge amount, but in a season like this is at the very least decent, and Houston has three of those guys. So, like, and Kyle Tucker, who is their best hitter this year, is one of the streakiest guys in baseball. What about the 1-8 and 4-5 matchups? Those are the ones that I think are very well, or maybe not. They're, I think the 1-8 matchup is 100% set. It's Toronto-Tampa Bay. Yeah. I, I mean, I love I love Toronto, but yeah, I don't think I love Teoscar Hernandez I mean, who, and Vlad Jr. Who do you start game two if you're Toronto? That's the issue. You've got Ryu, but I mean, like Ryu is going to be game one. Do you start Walker no game two really... or Robbie Ray? I don't think you could trust exactly. Robbie and Ray. No one on that team thinks. I, I mean, if you're trusting like Taiwan Walker and Robbie Ray to make your second hey, and third Walker's starts, Walker's actually then been good for the, for the Blue Jays. Oh, the 2019 Diamondbacks. 
Yeah, but you're saying the 2019 Diamondbacks actually really had to figure it out, which I don't know. If yeah, I did. just didn't even. Wow, well, I, I can't Jays, believe that basically... threw, that went over my head. The Diamondback, both Walker and Ray were on the Diamondbacks. Yeah, and both were uh, maybe not the most consistent players. But basically, if you're uh, the Blue Jays, and what you're hoping is that Bo Bichette is as good as he's been and he's healthy, and you're hoping that your Teoscar Hernandez, Kevon Biggio, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Vlad Jr., and um, no, I, that's that's it. You're, oh, let me repeat that. You're hoping that Bo Bichette and that uh, Kevon Biggio, Lourdes Jr., and Vlad Jr., along with surprise superstar Teoscar Hernandez, are going to carry you to that. that. OPS in the high 900s right now. Yeah, Teoscar Hernandez is fifty hitting fifty six percentage better than fifty six percentage points better than an average hitter this year with a one fifty six WRC plus. The guy is real good. The thing is that he doesn't really walk very much, but he's hitting absolute bombs. He's got sixteen home runs, which I followed Teoscar Hernandez when he was coming up in the Astros system, and he was nothing like this. He was decent. I, he was a very good like outfielder, as a center fielder, but I did not expect that he would suddenly decide he knew how to hit major league pitching which, I mean, all props to him, although he does have the 362 betting average balls in play. But regardless, you have to hope. It's sort of like what happened last year when the Astros played the Rays, but almost the opposite. Like, the Rays were weirdly able to hit the Astros pitching, which had been regarded as some of, like, the best in the sport and was supposed to be the best ever, obviously, because Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke were all in that rotation. And so if the young Jays hitters can hit the Rays, then we could have a really interesting series on our hands. I mean, three games, obviously. But I don't know. I got to pick the Rays because I feel like they might be the favorites to win it all at this point. Well, Dodgers, but how, to win the AL. How do we really. move on to a team that's not going to make the playoffs but deserves a little bit of credit for doing a lot better than we thought, and that's the Orioles. Who's that? Can we talk about like the Orioles, the Tigers, and the Mariners? Who, who I'm got to say i would have expected all three to finish last in their divisions and all of them are in fourth place with like i don't blame the tigers because they've had maybe the three best teams in the al in their division depending on how you view the rays and the a's but especially the o's tell me about them their bullpen has been very good they've they've had tanner scott they've had paul fry they've they've had a lot of guys with um era pluses above 100 and they've Got Dollar General version of Tim Anderson. That's Hanser Alberto, who makes contact every time and doesn't walk. Yes. Um, Renato Nunez has hit a lot of home runs. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle came up this year and he was really good. Uh, Austin Hayes was I think pretty Santander good. Santander has been very good when he's Santander was good for a month yeah. approximately. Um, yes. Cobb and when he was on the team, Malone actually did some stuff. They got Keegan Aiken. Um, I like a lot done better than a lot of people exactly yeah Paul Fry is someone who I really am a fan of uh he has some of the best spinning why because his name rhymes with small rhymes with small fry (laughs) no he's he was actually um a baseball savant darling that I picked up on a little earlier on the season he's fallen off a little bit but regardless he's still been done very well and yeah it just goes to show you really what a good bullpen can do to your team I mean one thing that's I think is really relevant is teams that are trying to tank don't care very much about putting together a good bullpen. They're most likely to throw out a bunch of random like quad A guys and maybe some guys like just sort of off the street in the hopes that they'll like lose a few games. Well, that's that they the thing. That's what the, a lot of the Orioles bullpen was last year, but they've turned into major leaguers. Exactly. And that's exactly what you have to hope because again, bullpens are very fungible. You don't, they're fickle. You don't really know what's going to happen from year to year, although you can probably predict when people are going to be bad. 
But if you like throw enough against the wall, then and some of it sticks, then you're actually going to be in really good shape. Yeah. Like Sean Armstrong, who I'm sure you've never heard of, has a 219 ERA in 12 innings. Paul Fry, again, has a 261 ERA in 20 innings. And Travis Lakins, who you I've never heard of, has a 318 uh, well, ERA. Well, he actually, Travis Lakins was on the Red Sox last year, so. You've heard of Travis. Tell me how good Travis Lakins was on the Red Sox last year. He wasn't. Yeah. I don't know. Baltimore's got... Baltimore has a lot of interesting players. I'm so glad to see them actually come up to the major leagues because, my goodness, we've been waiting a while. And this is definitely better than I think anyone would have predicted their team would be this year. And, and remember, even though, this is with Mancini no Adley. not on the field. And this is with Adley stuck in the minor leagues. Who I'll remind everybody is still older than Juan Soto. Yeah, Juan Soto, who, again, Juan Soto is he's having... Who? Juan Soto? I didn't even. I thought he was like 15. I didn't know he was able to get a driver's license yet. Yeah. Um, yes, Juan Soto has been historically good this year, and it's a real shame that he got a false positive for COVID-19. But regardless, uh, I'm definitely not mad about that. Um, all right. We've talked a lot about this. I know Yankees fans are probably itching for themselves to be talked about. But I but mean, also they're a five seed and everybody on their team yeah. is injured. And made we, don't, we don't even know so who they're going to play. They're either going to play the Twins or the White Sox. Um, the Twins, unfortunately, the Yankees seem to own. If the Yankees play the White Sox, and that's going to be one hell of a series that I think the Yankees lose in embarrassing fashion. So yeah. that's, I, lo- I love this White Sox team. We could, the White Sox, yeah. Why don't we talk about them? Because I know we, well, have, we have to go on to the NL. We got the we, NL. Know, we still I know. have an entire other league. I know. We have talked about the White Sox a decent amount on the podcast this year, but Jose Abreu might win the MVP this year if he doesn't win it. Tim Anderson, Tim Anderson might. might. Nick Madrigal has been a really fun player to watch. If you really like guys who hit single after single after single and are on the base path. Yeah. Eloy Jimenez has been like... Might be his advertised. silver slugger winner. Yeah, exactly. I've really enjoyed watching Eloy Jimenez. And even though Luis Robert has fallen off a little bit and like, I don't know, Grandal has been a little inconsistent. Mancada has been uh, not that great yeah, Grandal year. and it's Mancada a- haven't been really hitting. Yeah, it's a fun team. It's an exciting team. And obviously, like, I don't know, got Dallas Keuchel being a, another top five contender for the Cy Young. It's just strange. But Dane Dunning, the man with the incredible gla- the glasses wearing uh, phenom, has been someone you definitely write home about. So, I don't know. I told I my am, fantasy league to I th- put, yeah. keep Garrett Crochet's name in your mind. Okay, and I'm just going to say this. wind up is weird. I I know that there's no like Yankee Stadium or something like that to play in where Dallas Keuchel can shut you can shut the Yankees down, which he has a great history of doing. But Dallas Keuchel is going to shut down the Yankees when they play them in this postseason, and it's going to be so beautiful to watch Luke Voigt just like jam a ninety mile per hour uh, sinker cutter, whatever yeah, Keuchel get, throws these days into the ground by eighty nine. Yeah, it's going to be beautiful. Um, yeah, so yes, let's switch to the NL where the playoff race is way, way, way crazier. Definitely steamier. Yes. What kind of takes do you have on the NL? Um, it just It's hard because a lot of things are up in the air right now. There's f- really f- five teams fighting for a, just a couple of spots right now. Brewers are still in it. Phillies are still in it. Um, right now, as it stands, we have Cincinnati, San Francisco, Miami and St. Louis kind of fighting for spots right now. Um, the thing is, is that we've got one, two, three, four. We have, we have six teams within one game of 500. And 
We have four other teams with guaranteed playoff spots. So that's 10. Eight make the playoffs. So of the, who do you want to predict are the two that miss out this year? Uh, I would say missing out would be hmm, Philadelphia and Milwaukee. Those are probably the most likely ones. They're the only ones that aren't 500 or they're better. Not, yeah, they're, they're a game underneath. the ones that aren't in the playoffs of the playoffs since today. But the Cardinals and the Brewers are about to play each other. So we're going to see that firsthand. Yes. Which should be exciting as hell. I mean, really, we know we, we know that we love watching the Cardinals play uh, end-of-season games that determine their fate in the playoffs from they 2011. They did it last year. Yeah, and last year. And so I'm very excited to see them play 58 games, 59 games, 60 games. We actually literally don't know how many games they're going to play this season. I think they're so, going to have to be they're going to be forced to play 60 if the race is as it is right now. If it is as it is. So what they need to do is beat the hell out of the Brewers over the next couple of days. But Yeah. Would you want to talk- again? Yeah, go the ahead. The bottom 3 teams in the playoffs right now are very um bottom very four. surprising. Bottom 4. Eh, no, I'm I'm just saying about the surprising teams, teams that you yeah. wouldn't have expected to be there. Miami, San Francisco, Cincinnati. Obviously, I knew Cincinnati was going to be in the playoffs. There was not a doubt in my mind, but That's Miami true, and San Francisco. They're there right now. Yeah. Like, how are they above 500 right now? San Francisco, you know what's kind of funny? I think we talked on the podcast before the season started that San Francisco was the most irrelevant team of the last, I don't even know how long. They're, they've been irrelevant this year. What they've done this year sort of reminds me of what the Orioles have done, but like a little bit better. And somehow in a division where the, probably the two best teams in the NL are in the, are in it with them, they are above 500 right now, inexplicably holding on to... Um, this uh, second wild card spot, but again, a West team, uh, they get to play the Rockies, the Nat or the Rockies, the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks That's true. Mariners, Angels, Rangers. But they actually have had, according to Fangraphs, the second hardest, no, the th- the hardest strength of schedule of any team above five hundred. Huh. Yeah, that's actually Surprising, pretty. Actually, yeah. So that I think that's because they played the Padres and Dodgers so much. But, like, they've taken games from both of those teams. It's been really impressive because they know how to play the Dodgers. Like, I don't know how many times in the last several years the Do- the Giants have played, like, spoiler to the Dodgers as the Dodgers were supposed to just dominate them and go 19-0 against them every year. So this year they've even taken some more from them. Like, this again, this is a Giants team that just lost the guy who was their ace of the last five years, Madison Bumgarner, who has sucked. Pile I guess that's the best way to say it shit the bed in uh, Arizona this year. And the Giants team that's made of cast-offs like, you know, Kevin Gossman, who the fact that the two former top Orioles prospects and Kevin Gossman and Dylan Bundy have been terrific this year is an irony not lost on many people as the Angels have had a really bad rotation this year. But like Kevin Gossman... I would have seen it the Angels in a bad rotation. I don't know. But Kevin Gossman and Drew Smiley have really been good. Oh, Drew Smiley hasn't played that much. I'm saying that. Yeah. And obviously, like, the rest of the player pitchers on their team have not been great. I don't know, like, again, the Giants, if they make the playoffs, will be playing either the Dodgers or the Braves in round one. I do not see them beating Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, and whoever the Dodgers decide is the buzzsaw they want to throw at them. Maybe Dustin May to see if, uh, to see, I don't know, Mike Yastrzemski flail at cutters that go 99 miles an hour. But Donovan yeah. Solano seems like, and Austin Slater are guys who seem like they could have been on this year's Orioles. The only difference is like, I don't know, Evan Longoria being all right, Brandon Belt having like 
the biggest resurgence he's had in so long, even with the 366 batting average of balls in play. Eh, not sustainable, but you know. I, You know what? I actually really like what Brandon Belt has been doing this year. I mean, like, he's the kind of guy who was always on that Giants team. He really uh, was good at controlling the zone. Grant Brisby likes to tweet that uh, Brandon Belt should be able to call his own balls and strikes, which is a bit that he does every once in a while. But this year, he has done, you know, he's been pretty good. He's walked nearly as many times as he struck out. He's got an average over 300. He's got a 176 WRC+, plus, which, uh, yeah, that's extremely good. And what he's doing is he's barreling the ball up better than he ever has in his entire career. It's at, He's at, in the 98th percentile for the entire major leagues, which has been just phenomenal to see. And that's a 17.8 percentage overall. In fact, his slugging ex- expected slugging percentage and expected WOBA are even higher than his actual stats. So, yeah, it's true that his batting average on balls in play is a little high, but he's been crushing the ball, which absolutely makes up for it. And Mike Krzyzewski, you know, I mean. Is there anything you want to say about him? Uh, no, because I want to get to the matchups because there's a lot of matchups that... I think there's only one matchup right now that I would be comfortable saying is a complete and utter domination. Braves over the Giants. Obviously, I'm biased towards the Reds. I think they can. There's a chance that they can win two games before the Dodgers can. Yes. Um. There's a chance that the Marlins could. I mean, the Cubs have looked very bad. They've looked, forgotten how to use bats. I, I've got a question for you. Yeah. How funny would it be to see the Phillies go up for nothing in every game against the Dodgers and then their bullpen bullpen blows it so impossibly? <laughs> it's not not even like it's not even out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. The I mean, the Phillies bullpen is just man, like every It's quite possible. I, I it's it's I go on Twitter every night and like everybody's like insert uh uh tweet about bad Phillies bullpen here. And then I look at the score and it's like, oh, they gave up four runs in the seventh. Weird. Yeah. It's like for a team that's starting guys like Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, and like a surprisingly resurgent Zach Eflin. Like Zach Eflin like in, is weirdly decent this year, even though he's had fits of being horrible. Um, also, again, we should note that Zach Wheeler is a 267 ERA this year, even though his K percentage kind of... Uh, his K percentage is crap. It's pretty trash. But at the very least, he's getting people out because of an unsustainably low uh, home run fly ball rate. But that bullpen... Um, yeah, it's, best guy in there. It's pretty bad. It's it's pretty bad. They have a guy who has actually somehow thrown nine innings, Heath Hembry, who I think you remember from his Red Sox days, who's got a 12.54 ERA. The issue he is... They have to with keep, the Red Sox. I think he was very forgotten when he was with the Red Sox. They have Sox. to keep sending him out. Brandon Workman has pitched they've 13 innings for them. They've used, they've used Workman very poorly. His his ERA is nearly seven right now. Joe Girardi, I mean, like, I guess, you know, you give him a bullpen like this, he's not going to be able to use it effectively. But Jesus Christ, yeah. Hector Neris, who you say has been their best guy in the bullpen this year, he's got a 412 ERA in 19 innings, which is not what you want for maybe your best reliever. The only thing he's gotten lucky is that he hasn't allowed a home run this year. I... I cannot imagine what would happen when someone like Heath Hembry comes in to face Corey Seager. Uh, Heath Hembry having allowed nearly a home run per inning this year. And what is he expected to do? Get him out somehow? Is Do you think that's even possible? So that would be great to see. But we probably get the Cardinals. The Cardinals, of course, we would have some Cardinals magic where they somehow beat the Dodgers in an insane series. Because if the Dodgers are known for one thing, it's uh, blowing. Well, the Cardinals right in the now are the second in the Central right now. No, they're uh, right behind the Reds. 
We might be looking at different standings, but they're We're tied. At standings. Here's the thing. But here's the wow, that really changes everything that I'm looking at right now. The pot so the it really doesn't change. The Reds are either gonna be playing the best team in the NL or the second best team in the NL. Weird. No, but if they keep the second spot, then they're gonna play the Cubs. They play the Padres. No, the Padres. Oh, you're right. That's true. So yeah. Again, it's you you kind of I mean, want to be the team playing the, the Cubs. Again, the, but you know. The Cubs are gonna be the three spot. So what they're gonna do is they're gonna play the worst second place team in their division, which we all assume is gonna be the Marlins. And that should be that's kind a, of that's fun. An interesting series. Yeah, I definitely want to see Marlins versus uh Cubs because I mean obviously while Darvish is great. I love who the Marlins have this year and people like Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, Sixo Sanchez, who, while he might not be the rookie of the year for real, is absolutely the rookie of the year in our hearts. Yamamoto. Yeah. I Pablo it's Lopez is actually really good. Play. Yeah. Pablo, Pablo Lopez started out the year very well, but he's he's had a couple he of stinkers. Yeah, but he's also had some really good starts in between. So I would knock him. So that's a team that I would say upset alert. Marlins over the Cubs because this Cubs offense is blah. Chris Bryant has been terrible and also is injured. And I don't know, like you expect Ian Happ to be somehow the savior. I mean, possibly, but I mean, kind of doubtful. Now, maybe Jason Hayward pulls it off, but I can't really say it. Yeah, so I think the Dodgers have a great have the best chance of winning. No, I would say actually, sorry, I take that back. The Braves have definitely the best chance of moving to the next round. Why do you say that? I mean, they either play uh, the Giants or they, 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 they're going to play the best third place team, which might yeah, be. They're going to play the game. best wild card. Yeah. I would say the Dodgers are the best chance of moving on just because the Dodgers are extremely dominant. The yeah, Braves. Man, there's so much up in the air right now. Everybody is, man. I, lo- I love the chaos. We're, it's going to be so much well, fun. I to love watch the chaos week. too, but it, it makes it like tough for us as podcasters and as, I guess, "Quote unquote media members." I use the loosest of air. We quotes. have uh, no credentials. Switch. Well, I, uh, I could request some. You know, I could talk to some guys. Not, but you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but like it makes it tough for us because we only really know who the top four teams in the playoffs are going to be, and there's four games left in the season. Well, tell me about this then. Who, which teams in the NL do you see as being the most likely to play in the championship series? The top two teams. Obviously, yeah, I don't know. The Braves and the Dodgers are the best. But who do you, because don't forget, the Padres are basically locked in. Actually, although I guess we could have reshuffling based on standings. I don't know if we have that or a bracket this it'll year. Be t- it'll be tough. But yeah, they're definitely going to have to run into the Dodgers at some point. Yeah, we're going to have Dodgers, Padres. Like, let's say we have Dodgers, Padres, which seems like it's going to be a, on a collision course, most likely, even if it isn't guaranteed. Who do you favor in either a five or a seven game series with those two teams? Padres have actually against when they're facing the Dodgers. The Padres have been looking good. Uh, yeah, no, when they hit. The they hit in sorry. bunches. Yeah, I sorry, it's yeah. the Dodgers. The, the Dodgers, I mean, are just the best team in baseball yet the, again. The run differential is so insane. I can't believe it. Like, it. They actually somehow are supposed to be better than they they are right now. Uh, their their Pythagorean thinks they should actually be better than winning over two thirds of their games, which. It's great. Yeah, it's pretty good. They've got a 696 winning percentage when no one else... Well, Rays are 649, but no one else is anywhere near that. I'm impressed as hell by this Dodgers team. And their lineup is stacked from top to bottom. Like, we, we always say the Dodgers lineup is stacked from top to bottom. I remember reading this po- the their lineup on the air at the beginning, but Mookie Betts has been even better than expected. Corey Seager, 
I mentioned him. I've mentioned him a couple of podcasts. Corey Seager has been basically doing has been the best guy on like every baseball savant leaderboard. Yeah, that's the thing. He's he's doing great, and he's supposed to be doing even better. Yeah, I mean, like about the midpoint of the season, we're looking at Corey Seager's baseball savant pages, and we're like, oh, this is incredible. Why is he only like a better than league average hitter? Why isn't he the best hitter in the majors? And now he's actually been hitting like the best hitter in the majors over the last couple weeks, just hitting bombs left and right. But I mean. He's graduated from being Kyle's brother to Kyle being his brother. Listen, I, I once again, I talked with a member of the Dodgers front office back in, uh, I think it was like 2014, somewhere around maybe 2015. And we were talking about whether Correa was going to be better or Corey Seager was going to be better. For a long time, it looked like it was going to be Correa. But now I got to say it's Corey Seager, who has a 164 WRC+. plus. He's the best hitter this year on that Dodgers team, which has Mookie Betts as quite possibly the winner of this year's MVP award, unless you want and to... And Cody Bellinger. Yeah, Cody Bellinger, who is getting, getting a little better. He's obviously not that great this year, but like Chris Taylor has been really good in the games he's played, and he's walking a lot, which is really impressive. And he's got a impossibly high war. Yeah. I'm like... And Will Smith is like maybe one of the most uh, diverse position players as a catcher that you're going to see in the majors besides people like Isaiah Kiner for left only 33 or so games that played right yeah but he's been incredible when he has played yeah you know, I love Corey Seager this year. again Corey Seager has 14 home runs this year he's a 377 OP- OBP but a 609 slugging percentage he's exit velocity is 93.6 which is top two in the league I mean the guy is good the guy is that's the kind of guy who if you're looking for someone who is becomes a household name during the playoffs, Corey Seager is probably the first name that I would put on that list. Number two is probably Luke Voigt, but I mean, we don't believe that the Yankees are even going to get out of the first round if we really believe that. So I think we can move to award races. I think we've had some of the better award races in recent memory in some respects, and in others, it's sort of been a little kind of meh. But why don't you talk about something near and dear to your heart, the NL Cy Young race? Well... I said to I texted a very good amount of people last night that tonight, aka September, the night of September twenty third, was going to decide both the AL MVP and the NL Cy Young, and the NL Cy Young for me right now is decided. It's Trevor Bauer. He's got uh, ERA plus uh, above two seventy. Leads the National League. Leads the National League in ERA. Should mention that would be top five of all time. And the crazy thing is that there's someone who's been even better than him this year in that. We'll, be, talk, about we'll talk about him later. Yeah. Um, last night went eight innings, struck out 12, allowed one run, had an incredible sixth inning where he had first and third with nobody out and struck out three straight guys. Um, yeah. He's telling everybody, hey, I'm good enough. Uh, I've taken, I take measurements of myself every day, and it says I can start on three days rest. So he did last he night. Did that. Great. And he's going to do it again. We should mention that's going to be really important because in these playoffs, again, without the off days, if you're not able to do that, then you're not going to be able to go as like go down to a four man rotation. But Trevor Bauer seems to be absolutely ready to do that. Yeah. Keep going. And he's just absolutely taking the National League by storm in one of the toughest divisions, I think, um, the NL Central. Um you know, one seven three ERA. He's got if two. Not one of the toughest. Shutouts. Then, yeah, he's got a point seven nine WHIP, which is only slightly worse than Kenta Maeda. Um, he's gonna Kenta have finish like point six five, which is nuts. Yeah, 
73 innings, 100 I strikeouts, mean, batters hitting 159 against him. Just an even 100 is real nice, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's not going to finish with that. Obviously, he's got one more start, according to him. Are you sure? You think he's going to? Why would he he's start already, on Sunday? He's already he said just... that he's starting on uh, Sunday. Jesus. This man, this man has uh, waits for no one. Trevor Bauer is ready to take on the world. Yeah. One crazy thing about Trevor Bauer is that, I mean, we've talked about this too, but until this year, Trevor Bauer had like a pretty good spin rate on his stuff. It wasn't like, I don't know, the best in the world. Wasn't Astros level anything like that? What? It wasn't Astros level spin rate. Exactly. But this year, Trevor Bauer's spin rate has been, um, let's say, really good. Uh, it's taken a jump in every single one of his pitches by approximately two or 300 rotations per minute. Uh, so he now has five pitches that he throws with a spin rate over 2,700. And three of those are over 2,900. Again, his four-seam fastball has a spin rate of 2,772, which is basically unheard of in the sport of baseball. And... Even if he's using pine tar, then at the very least he's using pine tar. Then a lot of a lot better than any anyone else. And yeah, leading the NL in ERA as you said, tied for the NL in complete games. And the most one of the most valuable things you can do as a starter is induce pop ups. And for those who say it's not a skill, it actually is a skill. And you can check to see basically um, what launch angle uh, batters induce. And Trevor Bauer is not only is he leading uh, all MLB starters in inducing uh, pop-ups. He's doing it at twice the average MLB rate, which is crazy. Just a little more here. Um, he's basically the only guy in the NL that's really finishing on a high note. Freed went one inning, gave up the first two home runs of his season, and he's not going to start again until the playoffs got injured. Darvish has had a couple of bad starts in a row. I guess DeGrom. He's going hit. this week. Darvish and DeGrom are going this week. Darvish and DeGrom are going this week. DeGrom is still, I think, for him to actually three-peat, it would need to be way more clear-cut than it is for the voters. Right now, it right now I would say Trevor Bauer has the edge. Obviously, DeGrom has been great. I he, think DeGrom has to not yeah. allow a run his next start, and Bauer has to allow more than two. Exactly. Or actually more than three for, this, for it to because, happen. Yeah. Because right now, Bauer is leading in ERA, and his ERA is like four like 0.4 runs better than DeGrom right now which I mean again Jacob DeGrom having an ERA in the low twos is obviously great but this is the year when when pitchers are getting under two because there's not that much time and they are sort of just going all out and yeah Bauer has just been phenomenal this year he's been he's he's always a guy who's tinkered with his stuff and what I think is a little unexpected is how good he was this year because he finished off last year in a really bad state and people were wondering like going into his free agency year if how good he was really going to be and he has absolutely proven the doubt is wrong and Trevor Bauer I don't know how many of those doubters are real or not but if you ask him I'm sure he would say he has quite a few doubters so he's done a phenomenal job of proving that I think he he should be the Cy Young this year we very much agree on that but let's talk about something which I'm not sure we quite agree on as much um who do you think should be the AL MVP? If you say, so for those at home, if you think that Shane Bieber doesn't deserve the AL MVP, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Oh, so we do agree because, yeah. Tell me about tell me about Biebs. So on top of having an ERA that leads the majors, 163, leading the majors in strikeouts, 122 in, 87, in 77 and a third innings, yeah. he would have a major league record He's actually he's going he's to have a for the year. He record. has it. He's done for the year. He's made his twelve starts. Major league record, 
of 14 strikeouts per nine single season major league record with a minimum strikeout rate ever the highest strikeout rate ever for a starting pitcher eight and one one six three again these are just unbelievable numbers by the way i just want to throw in the giants just lost to the rockies so they're yeah they're looking a little shaky but anyway i should mention about that era that era of one six three is the lowest of the 21st century yeah not he beat beat granky and beat degrom yeah, beat uh, did Pedro ever get that low? Or I assume relatively close. And obviously, uh, he's beaten Bauer, assuming that Bauer doesn't beat it in his next start. Yeah, it would actually be interesting to see how many innings he would have to go scoreless for him to beat that ERA. Yeah. Well, here's a here's a question I because obviously we love Shane Bieber here, but who would be your two and three? So my two, I would say, would be Jose Abreu. Yeah. Because he's actually on top of all his hitting, his defense gets very much underrated. Yes. He's he's, a, he's actually a pretty far above average defender at first base. Again, it's first base, um, but still. He's a first baseman. He looks like he doesn't know how to field, or he looks like he wouldn't know how to field. He's kind of big, but he's very, yeah. very, I, I don't want to say gold glove, but he's he makes more plays than the average first baseman. And on top of that, he's leading the AL in almost every hitting category. Yeah. Abreu has been tearing the cover off the ball this year. Although he's not leading the majors in home runs, he still has 19, which is just a couple off of the league lead right now. And he's got an OPS over a thousand. He's got seven. He's got an average of 326, which is really good for a power hitter. And he's barreling up the ball. He's got one of some of the best exit velocity in the league. Which again, he's been very good at that. But this is his best year that he's had. And so, what what I think is really interesting about this season is that I don't know. Usually, you don't have a pitcher win, right? Usually, you also don't have a first baseman win. Usually, it's going to be someone like who plays an up the middle position or a third baseman. In the 2010s, there hasn't been a first baseman winning, except yeah. for Vaughn, I guess. And there's been one pitcher who's won in Verlander. Well, Kershaw's won an MVP as well. Oh, Kershaw won one also. Right. Uh, so, I guess someone like DJ LeMahieu or Tim Anderson would be the most likely choice in a season like this. But although they've both been good, I don't know, LeMahieu's a bit of an empty average kind of guy even though he is hitting 360 which is uh, tim anderson is too because his on-base percentage is basically the same as his average yeah tim anderson never walks is another issue and so i mean those guys have obviously been good but even though like tim anderson like he's a shortstop but also he is a terrible shortstop and he's, he's not a terrible shortstop you assume he'd be a he's fifth percentile and now it's above average so his range at the very least is at least something to be desired. And like he might be really fast, but he's only stolen five bases this year. And his OPS is um, nearly 75 points lower than Jose Abreu. So he's been good. It's just like... I talk to Anderson because Abreu is on the same team. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it doesn't ring out like and you think, oh, this, this is the MVP right here. This is who we're looking at. And the same thing happens with DJ LeMahieu. It's like, yeah, LeMahieu has been good, but you know, people kind of do this every year. And so, again, so we said we were going to talk about ERA+. Plus. Shane Bieber's ERA+, plus is the third best in Major League history right now. I believe it's at 281. It would be behind Pedro and then some guy from, like, 1880. Some guy from 1880 or something like that. And, probably, again... Probably Kid Nichols, you know? I don't know. I don't even remember. Uh, and so, Justin Verlander, who won the AL MVP as a pitcher back several years back and i mean some people were like maybe should have maybe was, shouldn't have he was obviously incredible it was very year. also 2011 was a very it was i think it was actually a weaker class 
than this Ellsbury year? was the next guy to win it, and, yeah. or Bautista. They weren't really that. It was a very much like this. There really wasn't a hitter that was like jumping off the page at anybody. But yeah. Verlander had like one of the best seasons in of the decade. And the thing so, is about Bieber is that his ERA plus is nearly one and a half. ERA plus measures basically what percentage you are better than average. And Bieber's ERA plus was nearly one and a half times better than Verlander's was that year. And so he's all, again, Shane Bieber is leading the majors and wins above replacement. He is their only guy for which there's like a little bit of distance between him and everyone else because everyone else is sort of caught in like the best players are all caught in that like 2.5 to 3.0 range, which there's no difference between those. That's like an extra hit. Bieber's at like 3.2. Bieber's at 3.2, which is the best in the major leagues. Like he's been the best pitcher on the planet this year. I think that much goes without saying. But he's also been the best player in the majors. I think he should win NL MVP also. If or I think he would if he was in the NL. I mean, <laughs> but no. But like, if there was an MVP award for the entire league, like there is, say, in the NFL or NBA or hockey, then I think Shane Bieber would win that one too. That's just how good he's been this year. He hasn't been bad once, and that's sort of uh, why you. I think you have to give it to him. Yeah. He's been consistently great. He's been consistently phenomenal. And no one else has that fantastic Yeah. All right. What other awards are you looking at? Uh, NL MVP is kind of close. I, th- I think a lot of people are start- are finally going to give Freddie Freeman the recognition that he deserves. Yes. Leading the NL in RBIs and doubles and batting and average. And extra base hits. Well, not batting average, sorry. And extra, extra base, base hits. Um, he's behind Juan Soto in a lot of categories, but Juan Soto had to miss like few games. He missed like over and two weeks. He was injured. He had COVID. Low average. So his war doesn't reflect the fact that he's got an OPS almost at 1,200. Yeah. Really, really, Soto should win it. But if, in any other season, Soto would win it if he only, if yeah. he only missed the games that he did. If he played 140 games and then everyone else played 160, Soto would win it because he's had one of the best seasons in recent memory. And it's, it's actually absolutely what we expected of him. He's actually been somehow better than what we expected of him. He's seeing the ball better than anyone since, like, I don't know, Mike Trout or Albert Pujols at this point. But, Mike Trout like, doesn't know how to hit. Yeah, Soto, Soto, I think, was compared to Albert Pujols during his rookie hey, thanks season. Thanks for glossing over that. I, I hope you wouldn't notice. What? Thanks for glossing over that. I hope you wouldn't notice. <laughs> Sometimes Trout has an average that isn't, like, 330-plus. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, I think I caught that. But... Soto kind of reminds people of like a young Albert Again, Soto's outs above average is actually not that great. He's actually a pretty shitty defender, which is why um, I think his war suffers a little bit. Pretty sure his his O his uh, O war is like two point five, but his war is like one point nine. Yeah, it's because his defense is kind of yeah, iffy. It's, it's actually pretty bad. It's but, not. It's really not iffy. It's but, just. But again, yeah. we're talking about defense. That literally means like on one ball, he might have like gone two feet too far in. And so there's a saying that defensive uh, stats take about three seasons to normalize. And we haven't even had much more than a third of a season this year. So I think that's pretty far from being like a direct statement on him. And meanwhile, you know, it takes really not that long to normalize. Strike our weights, rights it, and walk rights. And that's why, in my opinion, these are the guys who we're choosing. The guys who have terrific strikeout rates for pitchers and have terrific walk rates and great are great at not striking out for hitters. And Juan Soto, who's walking more than he strikes out, as well as hitting like Albert Pools in the mid two thousands, would be our MVP if he had played more. But it's Freddie Freeman. It's I think Freddie Freeman. Manny Machado yeah. is Manny Machado would be my second player. I think 
it's a it's amazing how much Tatis has fallen. Like there there was a point in the season where he was just like the no doubt MVP. I think it's also because of like the what was surrounding him. Because when he burst onto the scene in 2019, and he burst onto the scene, he was the number one prospect in baseball. He was an infectious, energizing guy who ended up getting hurt and missing a lot of the season. And this year, he's been the exact same guy. He's just trailed off a little bit. But like when he opened the season and was hitting better than anyone else in baseball, I mean, like I think the hype lasted a little longer. Then I think it sort of stretched into when he hit a bit of a slump. But yeah, Tatis has been had been great. It's just a shame that he trailed off a little bit. His numbers are now worse than they were last season, by the way. Yeah, except his defensive numbers have changed. Again, defensive numbers are hard to go by, but he's actually been one of the best shortstop defenders in baseball this year. He's still got 15 bombs and a 930 OPS. Yeah, he's he's almost. It's funny because he's almost played yeah. a full season in terms is- through his first like two seasons here. And yeah, like total numbers are crazy, <laughs> like 37 homers, 94 yeah, RBI, absolutely. like games. Yeah, 27 steals, which is good at a time like this. That's still 954 OPS. I it's in 616 plate appearances, but at the same time, I think Tatis Jr. has been sort of slumping, but like I don't think it's permanent because he's hitting the ball harder than anybody else in baseball, and all of his uh stack stats have him as being one of the best hitters in the entire league. So I would just say that he's hitting a bit of a slump. I would not say that this is sort of a symptom of something larger. But Machado I mean, has just been better. Walk, like, his strikeout to walk ratio is not great. It's that's the only issue. For every walk. That's the only issue. But at the same time, that might be something which he can learn to get a little better at over time. But Machado has been phenomenal. He's got 16 bombs. He he's he's actually his uh, slash line looks very similar to Corey Seager, and then he's got a 376 OBP with a 603 slugging percentage. Good for. Really great, 979 OPS. Um, the thing is, is that, like, I mean, he's been very good at most things. He's been great at a few. But Freddie Freeman has been hotter and been just, like, the heart and soul of that Braves team. I mean, he came back from getting COVID. He had a fever of 104.5. He was praying Almost for his died. life at one point. Yeah. And there's a chance he is that he absolutely wins, the heart of that lineup. There's a chance that he wins Comeback Player of the Year. There's A couple of people have said that to me. I mean, yeah, which... Doesn't seem like the kind of thing that you would give someone, but I mean, he recovered Especially from a team's like twenty RBIs last year. Yeah, he seems like the most serious case of COVID that anyone else might have had. But I don't know. I've been incredibly impressed with Freddie Freeman this year, and like I said, the most extra base hits in the major leagues. It's been great, and like yeah, Machado's OBP is barely higher than Freddie Freeman's batting average. Freddie Freeman's getting on base and he's hitting bumps. And your number three, who do you think, or would you have Machado number two? Uh, I would have Soto number two, and I would actually have oh. Seager number three. Yeah? Yeah. I wish I was as bold as you to do that, because I was going to put Soto 3 and have Machado 2. But, I mean, I love Corey Seager's year. It's just that he hasn't eh, played quite as much. You know what? Yeah, I think I would have to go Machado. Seager's, eh. He hasn't played quite as much. Hasn't and he's played got very quite, similar stats. His, his ratios are actually worse uh, than either Machado or um, Tetis. Yeah, and he's not as good of a defender as uh, Machado. Plays, plays a premium defensive position. Machado plays well, third base. Anyway. Well, I guess third base, third base, yeah, because Tatis plays. Machado now plays third base because he's got a phenomenal shortstop next to him. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy that that's worked out in his career. He had Hardy, so he had to play third base, which in hindsight, yeah. hilarious that he had to play third base because dumb, JJ dumb, dumb, but anyway. I mean, just like, he was a solid defender, but like Machado would have been better. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Um, are there any other awards you want to touch on? I mean, I, I think the NL Rookie of the Year is worth touching on. 
I don't know how competitive this is. I mean, I mean, I know Cronenworth has fallen off a little bit, but like we've talked about him on the podcast a lot. He hasn't done anything especially exciting since then. But at the same time, there's a guy in the Brewers uh, bullpen. That's done. Oh, so you're one of the you're on team Devin Williams, not only for best reliever in the league, but actually National League Rookie of the Year. Let's talk about Devin Williams then. You talk about him, please. I want. Okay. To be- oh God, I loved it. Okay. So. You, what would it be like? I, I question you. I ask you. What would it be like to see a changeup that you think is going right towards at least the zone suddenly veer a foot and a half vertically? Man, I would be unhappy and very not not uh, looking forward to facing that guy. I hope that guy doesn't exist. Are you about to tell me that this guy, in fact, does exist and throws the ball very well? You know what I'm going to tell you that might actually blow your mind? What? So someone has that person. Not only does that person exist, someone has actually gotten a hit off of that pitch. Oh granted, my god! Granted, it was one single. It was one single in the fifty. This guy throws it over fifty percent of the time, and there has been one guy who has gotten bat to ball and has actually gotten a base hit off of it. I think that's actually really impressive. It's good for a .017 batting average, but. 41 of his strikeouts have been by that changeup. Devin Williams, my ladies and gentlemen, Devin Williams has been like, he's like Josh Hader last year, obviously took the world by storm, but holy shit. He's, he's Zach Devin Britton Williams. in 2016-esque. You know what's kind of funny? Uh, if you go to his uh, Fangraphs page where it's uh, his prospect report coming to the season, he's got a 65 grade on one of his pitches, but that's his fastball. His changeup has a 40 grade on it. With a future grade of 40. That's on a 20 to 80 scale. That's so. So they're saying that's lower than that's like below league average, which uh, has not been true. Devin Williams has the highest strikeout rate in recorded history. Let me say that again. Devin Williams this year has the highest strikeout rate in recorded history of baseball. That's, I mean, for any reliever ever. What his ERA plus currently is? Uh, why don't you tell me? Oh, but why don't you take a guess? What, what, what range do you think it's in? I mean, usually, you know, the highest ERA plus for a starting pitcher ever is a little below 300. So I'm going to guess it's in the 300 to 400 range. You know what? You're really close, but I'm going to need you to at least triple that to 1275. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Devin Williams is a freak of nature, a force of nature. I don't know what I I did not know that. Jeez. He's allowed one run this whole season. He's almost half of his whip. Jeez. He's got a .36 ERA. Again, he's allowed one run this entire season. Clearly the best reliever in baseball. Liam Hendricks is the only one who, like, is remotely competitive. And the fact that he isn't the closer is kind of, like, blows my mind a little bit. But obviously I have Josh Hader, who might be he's the allowed, third best reliever in baseball. He's hits and nine walks, so he's doing a nice job of keeping runners out of the base paths. Very, very, very nice. So... I implore you, I know that this is an audio medium, but if you can look up just Devin Williams' changeup and see how he just breaks hitters into tiny little pieces, you absolutely should do that. Like, I feel like I'm very glad that this pod has been sort of a greatest hits of this year, but I mean, Devin Williams, I think, has been the guy who's most impressed me out of anyone we've talked about on the podcast. Just, and also, like, his predictive stats aren't like, oh, you know, this guy's actually not doing it that well. Nope. Best expected ERA in baseball, best expected batting average in baseball, best K percentage in baseball. We know that. Best whip percentage, Becks, expected Woba, nearly the best hard hit, nearly the best exit velocity. This man has, remember how we were talking about uh, our boy, uh, Trevor Bauer's spin? Yeah. On uh, his on his pitches? 
he does not throw a change up with the spin rate that Devin Williams throws a change. Devin Williams's change up spin rate is, I believe, around 600 RPM better than any other pitcher in baseball. It's a pitch that shouldn't spin a like left that. Slider. What? It's literally yeah. a left slider. It, it's impossible. It's impossible. I don't know what you do against it. And so, like, especially he especially loves throwing this pitch against lefties. Lefties uh, just sort of kind of die inside uh, when he when they see this pitch. Can't reach it. Yeah. So I don't know what you do. I don't know what you. That, 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 that's actually the only hit. But twenty two strikeouts have been on that pitch in thirty seven at bats. It's that sounds like Jordan Alvarez in the ALPS. Oh for thirty seven with twenty two strikeouts. <laughs> Jordan Alvarez actually had an OPS over one thousand in the World Series, but no one talks about that because we didn't win it, which is also kind of sad. But Regardless. But yeah, so against righties, by the way, that changeup has allowed zero hits. It struck out 19 guys in the 23 plate appearances he's thrown it and has a negative launch angle. If you are a righty and you're facing Devin Williams, you are you're either going dead through your bat mate. or straight into the ground. You're done for. I'm sorry. Like, no, you know what? A couple singles. He's allowed a co- two singles to right handed batters and a triple on a sinker that he threw for some dumb reason, which. Probably is the only issue, bad pitch he's ever thrown. He's thrown three sinkers to righties, but there's a reason Devin Williams does not throw sinkers. He throws change-ups that move, again, 18 inches sideways. Besides the fact that they drop also 40, it drops 40 inches, like a like a slider. It moves 18 inches sideways. It's unreal. It's, it's absolutely unreal. So this is your rookie of the year over uh, Jake Cronenworth. I mean, after saying all we just did, I don't I don't think it's possible to not pick him. Jake Cronworth, we should mention, as we've mentioned, that he can play every position on the infield and has on a loaded Padres team. Again, he's traveled off a little bit, but he has among at least among NL hitters, he is the cream of the crop. He has the most extra base hits, best slugging percentage, best OPS, most triples, most doubles. He's a great defender too. Like again, at every portion of the infield and crushes the ball as well, according to Statcast. But, I mean, we love talking about Devin Williams. I don't know if this guy is going to... I don't know if Devin Williams is going to win it. I hope he wins the Rolades Reliever of the Year Award, which, come on, man, you can do better than that. Yeah, come but, yeah, like, you got to get you got to get a sponsor. Actually, no, wait, it's Relief. No, they, they have a sponsor. Oh, yeah, no, I, you got to get a better yeah. one, but I guess, no, Rolades... It's a bad... Five, no, it's a bad, bad pun. I'm sorry. But no, what are you... Rolades Relief. It yeah, sounds it, it sounds like a bad PR executive is like, oh, my God. We have the perfect storm of relievers, relief, Rolade. They sound the same. They do the same things. What could be better? A lot of things could be better, like a non-sponsored award. But uh, I'll leave that to, I don't know, some PR people out there. Um, What else do you want to talk about? Because I believe the rest of these awards are sort of a given, I would say. I would say Ale Cy Young. (laughs) If it's not Shane Bieber, I don't know who you're voting for. Maybe two and three is interesting because you've probably got Lance Lynn and Dallas Keuchel in there, which sounds kind of funky, but that's who it's probably going to end up being. Um, AL Rookie of the Year is almost definitely going to be our guy, Kyle Lewis, who has put off a little bit, but at the same time is just still has uh, an OPS over 130. And that's better than anybody else. Like Luis Robert has really gotten a little frozen. His OPS plus is now below... 100, which is not good. And I think that's all we've got for baseball. 
basketball we are very much going to get into next week because we are probably going to see the end of both series by then. Uh, the Heat Celtics series has maybe not been Sam's favorite to no. watch. <clears throat> no, maybe not. But Nuggets Lakers, at the very least, is going to be something I'm really itching to watch. I think the Nuggets have a real shot. I hope this doesn't blow up in my face. But either way, uh, we're really excited to talk about the NBA Finals preview next week. See you then.